let's finish James this week. Uh, James chapter 5. We're going to finish out the book of James here this week. Uh, and then we're working on a few different sermons, uh, ideas and such for the coming weeks that I'm not going to get into you with because if I don't end up doing them right now, I don't want anybody to be like, well, I liked that idea of that one. Why haven't we done it yet? Because some sermons and some sermon series take time to get together and figure out exactly how you're going to do them. Uh, and so I'm not going to tell you exactly where we're going after this, uh, but uh, it's not a book study. Don't worry. We're going to take a little break from a book study. Um, but I hope you guys enjoy what we're going to go, where we're going to end up going um, after this. But for today, we're going to finish James. And this is a process that started like before Christmas. We started in James. And it's taken us half a year almost to work our way through the book of James. Now, it's not all of our fault, right? We had certain holidays in there. People like a Mother's Day sermon. And for some reason, around December 25th, you're supposed to talk about Christmas and stuff like that. I don't get it, but whatever, you know. So I hope you remember, as we've walked through James, where we started and where we've been, right? So we started with, in James chapter 1, this talk about faith, this talk about um, um, uh, persecution, and then this talk about works. And the book of James, right, we said the book of James was almost excluded from the entirety of Scripture because it is so works-focused, and the only reason, outside of the fact that God wanted it in there, right, that the, uh, the, the people put it in our 66 canonical books is because James is the half-brother of Jesus. So they went, well, we can't leave out the book that Jesus' own brother wrote. God obviously wanted it in there, so it's there. But it is a book that is emphasis on works. Now, remember, he said at the very beginning, I'm not telling you faith is not the works get you to heaven. That's not what James is saying at all. What he is saying is, in that first chapter or two, is, listen, if you claim to have faith and you're not doing anything, you don't have faith. Your works will be an outcry, outcome of your faith. And if you don't have that fruit, you don't have the basis. That's what he's saying. He then spends the next couple of chapters just throwing haymakers at every believer who's ever lived, letting them know just how bad a Christian they actually are. Remember, we've said it multiple times, if you ever feel like you're doing really well in this life, go read the middle chapters of the book of James. You won't feel like you're doing so good anymore. James has a way of just being like, hey, you think you're doing great. You're not. You need to do better. James was in that boat as well, so it's not like James is going, now, half-brother of Jesus here, I have it all figured out. But he's saying, hey, let's buck up. We've got to get to work. We've got to do these things. So there was a lot of practical application in those middle chapters. And then here in this last chapter, um, right, we've talked a lot about um, the, first, the first part of this last chapter talks about salvation and how hard it is to be saved. It's easy but also incredibly difficult, right? The process is easy, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. But boy, we don't like to do it. And then in this last thing, right, if you remember last week, we talked about um, behavior and such with each other. Don't be complainers, all that kind of stuff. Now this week, we're calling it closing thoughts because James gives off like five or six things in real quick succession. If you're this, do this. You're this, do this. You're this, do this. See you. We're out. So let's talk about all of the things he decides to leave right till the end and put them in there. Here's the other thing I want to point out. Whenever you're, you listen to somebody speak or you're reading a book or anything like that, what's the part that you remember best? The end. It's the part that sticks with you. 
So James, I just want to point this out. James leaves two massive things to the end. The first, salvation. He wants to leave the people he's writing to with salvation. And then a couple of these things that we're going to read about right here and their importance. Let's read it. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. It reads, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He has to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's how it ends. No goodbye, no You know, Paul liked to end his epistles by being like, we're praying for you. This guy says hi. We're talking about this girl. You know, we're out. James is just like, here's a bunch of crap. Bye. Done. Done with you guys. So let's talk about what he says. Number one on your note sheet there. Number one on your note sheet. Some basics. Some basics, right? So he starts off by talking about suffering, cheerful, and sick. I want to put these three things into a commonality, if we can. Because a lot of the time, these verses are taken to mean if you are physically sick, have them come and put hands on you, and you will be healed, and such. That is an interpretation, and I'm not saying it's wrong. They did anoint with oil back then, but I also want to point out the fact that the oil they anointed with was not just olive oil. The oils that they used back then had real medicinal purposes. Secondly, And I'll leave you to decide what you fully want to believe. But a lot of scholars take these verses to mean in a more spiritual way. If you are spiritually suffering, start praying. If you are spiritually cheerful, start praising. And if you are spiritually sick, and yes, you can be, and all of you have been, and probably will be again at some point in your life, spiritually sick, come and have, now this says the elders, but come and have the people of your church, of your body, who are not spiritually sick, come and pray with you. That's why it starts talking about sin, because one of the areas that you can be spiritually sick is when you are in sin. I don't mean you lied and you go and repent. I mean you are in continuously in the same sin over and over and over and over again. You become spiritually sick. We talk about, I feel so separated from God, and then somebody always will go, oh, you're not. He's standing right there. That is very much true. But what you have done is built up a wall of sin between you and him. And you must tear it down. So as James is talking about this, most scholars believe that his, his readers would have understood all of this to be seen in a spiritual way. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't lay hands on the sick. I do it. We've done it here in church. I've done it when I've gone in visitation. We've anointed people with oil. I'm not saying to do any of that. But I am saying, though, you, and you might have encountered this in your life, sometimes we pray desperately for God to heal, And he doesn't. 
And that doesn't seem to jive with these verses very well. Because these verses say very clearly, if a righteous man prays over somebody who's sick, they get better. The certain Christian sects use these verses to say, well, you obviously don't have enough faith. You just didn't have enough faith, so God didn't heal him. First off, God is not dependent on you or I in any way, shape, or form. And if he was, he's not God, and you should find somebody else to serve. He's not powerful enough to save you if he needs your help. So the fact of the matter is, your faith has nothing to do with whether something gets done. God's going to do what is in his will. Secondly, there's a part of this that's not written there, that is written about elsewhere in scripture, that we need to bring into this to fully understand this. When you are praying In the will of God, things happen. What do I mean by that? When you are praying and asking God for, let me put it this way. If Daniel, nope, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let's use them instead, right? Everybody knows the the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Big old statue, they don't want to worship it. The the, the, uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is like, I'm going to make this furnace hot enough that you can't even get near it without dying, and we're going to chuck you guys in there unless you worship my image. And they're like, no. And what is it that they say right there? Even if our God doesn't save us, he's powerful enough to do it, and we're going to worship him. Let me ask you this question. If it was God's will in that moment for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be burned to a crisp, was any amount of praying on their part going to stop that from happening? Not a chance. And vice versa. It was obviously God's will to save the three of them. So any amount of praying to him that they get charred to a crisp, would that have changed anything? No. The will of God will come to pass. And when you walk in the will of God and when you pray in the will of God, that's when incredible things happen. That's when you see incredible things happen. If it is the will of God to heal somebody physically, it's going to happen. Now, we're commanded to pray. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray. I'm not saying we, shouldn't just, we should just go, all right, well, I'll just let God do what he wants to do because he likes to use us. He uses us. He doesn't need us Big difference there. And when you're walking in the will of God, it allows, it not allows, it, it allows you to see what he is doing. If Peter and John on their way to the, to, the, to the temple that day, if it wasn't the will of God for that lame man to get up and walk, Peter pulling him up wasn't going to do anything. It was the will of God. He knew it was the will of God. Peter did because he had been spending time with him. He knew what it was that God wanted to happen. Sometimes it is the will of God to call people home to him. We don't like that, and I'm not saying you should like that. We don't like it, but sometimes it is. That's okay, too. We sing, we didn't sing it this morning, but we, I, one of my favorite hymns, right, is It Is Well With My Soul. That whole song is about walking in the will of God. It is well with my soul, whatever your will is, God. It is well with my soul, and I walk in it. So in these verses, we see that James is saying, in a spiritual sense, if you are suffering, get on your knees. It might not change the suffering, right? I mentioned that this morning with some of the stuff we talked about. It might not change what's happening around you. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were still thrown into the fiery furnace. Daniel was still thrown into the lion's den, right? Jesus still climbed the hill to Golgotha. What it does do is change your perspective on things. And perspective matters. You might have heard me say, I I don't know if I've said it from the pulpit before. Uh, Not that I have a pulpit, from the front before. But I've said it many times in my life. Perception is not, or reality is not reality. Perception is reality. If I say something, and this, it happened this morning. I don't even know what I said, but it happened this morning. And I said something in a joking way to my wife, and she went, why are you being mean to me? And I went, I wasn't being mean to you. We were joking around. I wasn't being mean. Was I technically being mean? Not technically. Does it matter in the slightest? Not at all. Because she perceived it as mean, therefore the perception was. Reality is not reality. Perception is reality. You can change the outlook of things just by how you perceive them. You can't necessarily change the suffering. The suffering is still there. Job's suffering was still there. But boy, you see a perception change in Job chapter 39 and 40. Your perception of what God is doing matters. And the only way to perceive it the way that God does is to be with him. Same thing in your cheerful. Just start praising him. When your spirit is uplifted, don't go, all right, God, and just keep going on your way. Praise him for it. Because I'm here to tell you, the suffering's on its way. So praise him when you're cheerful. And when your suffering's there, I'm here to tell you, the cheer is on its way. Because God is there. So start praying. And then lastly, when you're in that spiritually sick, let others come and pray for you. I'm not saying you have to share every little detail of your life with everybody, right? I've given my testimony once, a long time ago here, and if anybody wants to ask me questions, I am more than willing to answer questions about my life and what I've walked through in my life and stuff like that. However, there is not a single person in this room that knows every single detail. Because there are some things I have chosen to keep between me and God. Not sins, but some things I've chosen to keep between me and God, for now. I'm not saying you have to blabber every little bit of your life to people. But hey, when you're in the desert, it's not just a good thing, it is the right thing to do to go to other believers and say, brother, I'm really struggling right now, I'm in a desert, can you pray with and for me? That's what we're here for. That's one of the things we are here for. So he gives off these basics, then he gets a little deeper. Number two on your note sheets there, confess sins, confess sins. Now this passage of scripture is one of the passages of scripture that um, sects like Catholicism used to say you need to go to confession, right? Not quite. They, they missed the boat. I do want to say, it's not necessarily a bad thing to go to confession. I'm not hitting it all over the place. The concept is good. The practice is a little off sometimes. What you are supposed to do, though, is have, we call them accountability partners, one or two, not a billion, a couple of people in your life, mark this, of the same gender that you can go to and talk about your sin struggles with. Why your same gender? Ladies, I love you. I don't know what it's like to be bitter. 
I, I don't. I know what it's like to be angry. I do. I don't know what it's like to hold this grudge that you just will not let go of, and you don't even remember why you have the grudge anymore. I don't get it. I can't help you with it. You could talk to me about it. I can't help you. I can point you to scripture, but I can't be like, I empathize with you. I get it. Or sympathize. I forget which one means which, but either way. And here's the thing, ladies. Some of you in here might disagree with me, but that's because you've never been a man. You cannot understand the lust struggles of men. You cannot do it. Why? Because it's innate in men to struggle with it, just as it's innate in women to struggle with bitterness. If I go to a woman and say, oh, I'm really struggling, they go, well, why? Just stop. Stop looking. Just stop. You go to a man and you go, I'm really, I'm just in a place right now and I'm doing everything I can. I'm, I'm reading scripture. I'm worshiping. They go, I know. Let's walk through it together. Let's, let's, let's walk through this together. And vice versa. You can't, I, I can't, I'll be, you come to me and you're like, I'm bitter against this person. I'm like, well, just stop. Give it up. Why are you bitter? What's it matter? You need the people in your life who understand the areas you walk through. One of the people who helped me the most with my anger was a man named, not a man, well, he's a man now. We were kids at the time. We were like 21. Um, named Tristan, who I traveled with for two years on Rise, who was just like me, except he was the most peaceful, per one of the most peaceful people I'd ever met. And he's, we're talking, and I go, how did you get this way? And he goes, well, I used to be like you. And then I decided to forgive everybody. I wasn't going to carry it anymore. I decided I was not going to carry it anymore, and I never picked it back up. And I went, it's not that simple. And he goes, it is that simple. Choose not to be angry anymore with the people who have wronged you. I'm not quite to where Tristan is, even eight years, seven, eight years later. I'm not quite to where he was seven, eight years ago, but we're getting there because he understood anger. And he could look at me and say the things I needed to hear that I really didn't want to hear. I didn't want somebody to tell me, you like being angry. Stop it. I didn't want somebody to tell me that part. He could because he had been there. Here's the other thing with accountability partners. Theoretically, they should not be much younger than you. They should be about the same age group, except you should have one or two people who are older than you, who have walked through all of it before, who have been there, and you can say, yeah, I know what you mean. Let's talk about it. Because I walked through it 20 years ago. I get it. That's where this confessing of the sins come in. So why are we, why should we, right? We talked about the one, accountability. It helps us to keep accountable, to walk this road, this extremely narrow path. Secondly, and most importantly, it's just commanded. He says to do it. When I was a kid, and I've mentioned this before, so it just won't be a shock to you, but there was innumerous times when I was given a command by my father, and I would ask why, and his answer was, because I said so. I didn't need any more reasons than that, because my parents said, do it. Church, I'm here to tell you something this morning. There's a lot of stuff in Scripture that God says do it. You don't need any other reason besides God says do it to do it. 
He often gives more reasons, but sometimes he doesn't. And so even if he never gives a reason about accountability or our healing process or anything like that, and he just says, confess your sins to one another, you need to do it because he commands it. We like to be independent people. Even as a kid, I was like, well, you said to do it, but I don't have to do it. You learn really quick. You need to do it. When dad says do it, you got to get it done. And, and you also learn really quick that when dad says do it, it does not mean do it on your timetable. It means do it when he said do it. I didn't like that part either. But here's the thing. That also applies to scripture. When God says do it, it doesn't mean when you're good and ready. It doesn't mean when you feel like it. It means do it. Now, as I said before, I'm not going to get up here. There are very few sins. And if I do have to get up here and confess my sins in front of all of you, it means something horrible has happened and I'm no longer your pastor. So you're not going to see me get up here every Sunday morning and go, church, I've made a list of all the sins I committed this week and I need to confess them to you. It's not going to happen. I do have other people in my life, though, that I go, <sighs> might have exaggerated the truth a little bit. So you lied. No, 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 I exaggerated. Church, I'm here to tell you, a lot of you in here are fishermen and such like that. When you get the fish that's this big and you say it's this big, that's not exaggerating the truth. It's called lying, and it's a sin. Just putting it out there. Some of the men here just went, oh no. Listen, we all have our lies we like to tell. We're still lying. There's a, never mind, I won't go there, because um, most of you won't understand it anyway, because I don't think you've watched that show. Um, but either way, okay, I need you to realize what just happened was, a thought came into my head to use as an illustration for that. Well, it was somewhere around here. And, and I went, no, I don't think most of, the, most of this congregation has watched large amounts of the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's a hilarious show. I love it. Contains one of my favorite scenes in all of TV uh, history. It's a great show. And instead of having a silent conversation in my head, I did what I most of the time do and just speak out loud whatever is going on inside my head which just most of the time leaves everyone around me confused, including myself. So, you know, here's the thing. All right, so we've talked about its command. We've talked about the accountability. The other thing is, if you have unrepentant sin in your life, I don't mean you lied once and boy, you, you, you confessed it before God. I mean you are struggling with bitterness, with lust, with gossip, with drunkenness, with whatever. Pick your sin struggle. We've all got them. When, when you are struggling with that and you are just walking in that sin, you are not fighting against it, you are not. When you are just living in that sin going, all right, I'm just living in it right now. You set up walls and barriers around yourself and you make yourself sick. And the only way to heal from that sickness is repentance and confession. Now here's the thing. You might go, what does that sort of sickness look like? Let me clue you in to your pastor's life about some of the key areas I recognize in my own life when I'm starting to get, call it, spiritually sick. My already somewhat rocky sleep just tanks. 
I barely get any sleep for days on end. I don't mean one singular day. I mean for days on end, I barely get any sleep. I'm irritable. I'm angry. And for lack of a better term, I just feel the ick. My physical body is directly impacted by my spiritual well-being. It always has been. It might be for you. It might not be. But those are some of the things for me. When you are spiritually sick, the only way is to confess. Some of you might be in places right now or in your life quite a bit like David with Bathsheba, right? I'm not saying you adulterated, got somebody pregnant, killed her husband, and then married her and thought you got away with it. But you might have sinned, done another sin to cover it up, and thought you got away with it. I've been there. I was younger and stupider. Now I'm older and still stupid. But the fact of the matter is, most of you, if not all of you, have done that in your life. How do I know? Because you're human. And it wasn't just David who did it. His is just the most famous. We think we get away with things, but God has a way of just showing us our own sickness and pulling us back out and going, hey, I want to encourage you with this this morning. Do not ignore what the Holy Spirit is telling you. If the Holy Spirit, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is going, hey, you've got this sin. And it might even be a full blind spot in your life where you don't even recognize it. That happens. The Holy Spirit is going, hey, you're, you've been walking in this sin for a while. You need to repent and you need to come out of it. It's very unwise to go, I'm okay. Because if God can't get a hold of you with this still small voice, he usually resorts to more drastic actions and then speaks in the still small voice. It's the idea of you can either fall on the rock and be broken to pieces or the rock can fall on you and you can be pulverized to dust. Your choice, you're going to be broken. You get to choose which way around you'd like it to be. One way is considerably less painful. All of this plays into each other. Your sin and confession of sin, walking this right path. And, he, and, and, and James leaves these people with this because he wants them to continue walking down this path. To continue walking forward in what God has. If you're sick, you can be healed. Yes, physical healing, but even more importantly, spiritual healing, you can be healed. But it takes some effort. This is what it takes. One of the areas that, and this is in those last couple of verses, right? One of the areas that we as believers to believers are called to help each other in is our sin. As your pastor and as your brother in Christ, you better believe if I see you in sin, I need to call you out on it. On that note, I have a list of you in here right now. But as your brother in Christ, I need to not, how dare you, but in a, hey, can we sit down and talk? I noticed in some of the words you've been saying or some of the actions you've been taking, you've kind of been, it, it appears you're struggling in this. Can we talk about it? And the same better be true. If one of you goes, oh man, Pastor Sam is struggling with this sin and no, being barefoot is not a sin. I'm just putting that out there. 
I'm not barefoot right now. <laughs> I have my shoes on. However, however, on the, I'll, I'll say this after the sermon. I'll save it. Let's, let's try to wrap up and then I'll, I'll save this. Our job as believers to believers, not to unbelievers. Your job to, as a believer to an unbeliever has never been and never will be to point them to their sin. It is to point them to Christ. Let Jesus deal with their sin. Your job as a believer to a believer is to point them to what their sin is. Not in a, you're a sinful sort of way, but in a, hey, can we help each other through this? Hey, you know, I noticed you're really struggling with anger right now. I do too. Can we work through this together? Can we walk through this process together? And maybe, maybe we'll grab this guy over here who, who is way older than us, and he walked through this once, and he knows how to do it. Let's walk through this together and do this. We're supposed to help each other with our sin. Not help each other sin. Help each other with our sin. Let's make that clear. James leaves and wraps up this whole book with this stuff. Because as much as your, he spends a lot of time talking about your outward works, okay? Your outward works are an outpouring of your inward. At least they should be. And you can only hide what's inside for so long. Eventually, if what's inside is garbage, that's what's going to come out. Nathan and I did a, a skit years ago. Garbage in, garbage out. Whatever you put in, that is what's going to come out of you. Eventually, you can only hide it for so long. So James said, it's important I leave you with this. All of the works in the world do not matter if what's in here is rotten. And if what's in here is not rotten, your works will pour out of it. He wraps it all up beautifully by saying exactly what Paul said and what Jesus said before that. Inward change creates outward change. Outward change never happens without the inward changing first and foremost. And that's true of you individually. That's true of your church. That's true of your town, of your city, of your state, of your country, of your world. You want to see change happen? You want to see good works? It starts here, individually with us, inside. First with salvation, then with making sure that we're not sick, but that we're continuously healing and becoming more Christ-like. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. Um, I, th I thank you again. I don't know if I said it once. I thank you for this past week that it was just beautiful out. It was gorgeous. I thank you for it, Father. I thank you that, yes, you, you tell us a lot about works, but you focus most on the fact that our inward lives need to change, that inside of us needs to change before the outward can ever be affected. I pray that you would help us in that process, that if any of us are sick, you would point it out to us so that we can begin that healing process, that we as a church can uplift each other and grow with each other. Not just in number, but especially in spiritual, in our hearts, Father. We praise you. Um, and it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen.